Hey, it's Jared. As some of you might know, I'm a massive Jeopardy fan. I don't watch every episode, but some of the best collections on Netflix and YouTube I'm always down to watch. And one of the most memorable episodes, I guess you could say, of any Jeopardy was not an episode at all. It's when the new IBM Watson artificial intelligence debuted and absolutely killed Ken Jennings in Jeopardy. It was a very scary moment because Ken Jennings and James Holzhauer and a lot of these kind of Jeopardy greats are kind of seen as unbeatable. And AI came and just killed them on a lot of questions. And this is kind of an anecdotal example, but as many people have kind of been paying attention, AI is everywhere now. It's thrown around constantly. I remember when Siri first came out, everyone's like, oh my God, they're going to be listening, artificial intelligence. And then we have Amazon Echoes and self-listening devices and things like that. And there's a lot of questions surrounding AI because it's thrown around so much. And as a lot of you know, issues like this on Contested are our favorite, where people say them and use them a lot, but we really don't understand the weeds of what's going on here. So for today's episode, I sit down with William Sepesi, a good friend of mine here at Washington University, who's done a lot of research on AI, specifically for poker and games like that, but also knows a lot about how it works, and importantly, a lot of the ethical questions surrounding it, because... While technological progress is hard to inhibit, where we use and how we use AI, we have to be very careful with. So if you're afraid that we're going to end up in a Terminator-like world in the future, or that, you know, you won't have to get up out of bed and it'll be like WALL-E and artificial intelligence will do everything for you, I think this episode is going to be really instructive and important to understand how AI is going to interact with humans going forward. So stay tuned, and I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Hey, William. Hi, Jared. How's it going? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. The St. Louis weather is a little cold for my California blood, but besides that, doing very well. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you today about AI, because I think for a lot of people, they know this is going to be part of the future, but are kind of too afraid to get into the weeds of it and kind of really think about it. Maybe that's due to pop culture. Maybe it's just due to who knows what, but we're going to get into all of that. So I'm really excited. But before we get into the topic, as is normal and contested, who are you and how did you become interested in artificial intelligence? So hi, everyone. Like Jared said, my name is William Sepesi, and I'm a first-year student here at Washington University uh, alongside Jared. I am, you know, a computer science major, but I'm really interested in, you know, a lot of other things from, you know, math to statistics to politics and history. So this is kind of a nice convergence of all the things I'm uh, interested in because, first of all, I'm, I'm fascinated with how, you know, AI works and how we're able to solve all these super complex problems. But not only that, but how we actually apply it all and how we do so ethically. And I mean, that's, you know, the focus of today's talk. So AI has actually been around for, you know, a, a decently long time. There's some of the first projects done in like the 1960s and scientists have gotten pretty darn good at it. It's very effective, and I'm all, you know, going to go and talk more about that later. But one of the big concerns nowadays is, well, should we be using these decisions? How should we be using these decisions? And how can we moderate these decisions? So that's a, it's still a big complex thing. And I'm, you know, going to be excited to be talking about that today. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, especially kind of listeners to this show, you hear kind of all these swirling words like big data, artificial intelligence, and it just seems like technology is kind of dominating. A lot of the bigger questions in society and the and kind of the main concern is where's the line there as to 
its progress is going to be unlimited um, as we've kind of found, but you know, how can we implement this in a way that makes sense? So I'm really excited to talk to you about that. And given all the kind of research and talks that you've done, I think this will be a really productive conversation. But before getting into any of those moral questions, what is artificial intelligence? Because I think it's thrown around from everything from when Siri came out to, you know, Watson IBM on Jeopardy, and there's all these other examples in between. So if you can kind of narrow down, what is artificial intelligence? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you're right. There is a ton of buzzwords being thrown around for stuff that, you know, may or may not be artificial intelligence, may or may not be machine learning. So in general, artificial intelligence like describes like the large tent of like machine intelligence, which is kind of means like machines that have the ability to like execute tasks that would traditionally require like human intelligence. And this could be areas like machine learning, like strategic planning, computer vision, which is something probably people have heard about lately with like self-driving cars and like natural language processing, which is like how to make computers understand like the nuance of like human languages. So specifically machine learning then, and I might refer to this as ML, is a sub area of AI that focuses on learning a target behavior from a set of data. So when you think of, you know, math or something, there's this whole thing of like a function, right? And you have some input and you have your function and the function gives you a predictable output. And normal statistics and a lot of things in data science are honestly using this as more of a statistical approach. You know your inputs, you give it to a function you know, and you get some outputs and that's kind of how it works. Machine learning is a little interesting because you have a set of inputs and outputs, that's your data set, and you actually train the model to learn kind of that function. And that's super interesting because then you can take new data and give it to this, this function that you have and it spits out outputs. And these outputs are very, very accurate to what a real output would be. And you can use that to predict things, be it in like, you know, business or defense or anything from like social issues to, I mean, everyone's kind of seen the crazy amount of explosion of, oh, this is AI this, AI that, because it makes decision-making easier. Decision-making is complicated and decision-making in complicated scenarios is really complicated. So having some computers, the idea is like, oh, it's objective or whatnot. And, you know, if that's true or not, we can get into that later. But that's the general plan. Yeah. So artificial intelligence is instead of you kind of providing, I suppose, the, the formula on how to do some sort of task, you kind of just give it a lot of inputs and outputs and it learns itself kind of to draw the link between the two. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, you might have or your listeners might have heard of these things called neural networks. And that's a you know very common tool used in machine learning. And that's kind of based off of vaguely off of kind of how our brains work. And you know, you have your neurons that develop connections between each other. And over time as a human, you you view all these things and you learn to kind of understand, oh, this thing is gonna lead to this thing. And your brain knows that before it happens, right? So the concept in machine learning is we give it some inputs and then there's these things that we call like neuron layers and it's like a hidden layer is what it's called and then that's kind of tuned and then like you give it some data and it's like this is the input and then it goes through and it says is this the output and you're like no this is wrong and then you retune the neural layer a little bit and you give it another input and it's like oh this is a little bit better and you return it like a, a ton ton of times and then you get some pretty you know accurate neural layers the really complex thing with that though is that we don't actually like get spit out a numerical function. It's kind of a black box is a really good way to think about it. That you put something in and it gets changed somehow and you get an output, but we don't really know like 
what's going on in the middle. And that's really what's kind of concerning for, you know, ethicists. And again, you know, I can move into that a little bit later, but the, the general thought is that if we don't know kind of what's going on, we just have a result that we're supposed to blindly trust and that can kind of be a problem. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good distinction, I guess, between kind of what, what people would traditionally think of as like math versus AI is that, right, you're putting all these inputs over and over again and tooling with the outputs to make sure that it's happening, but you don't really know, as you said, what's going on in the middle there or how AI is dealing with it. It's those hidden yeah. layers, as you're saying. So with that in mind, then, if it's hidden and humans really can't tap into the nitty gritty of what's going on, that's, I guess you said, the concerning element because then the AI can start doing things in there that, that we don't know or we can't yeah. even kind of comprehend. So, so shifting gears slightly then, I think for a lot of people, the, the first introduction or the first thought that pops into their mind when they hear of you know computers taking over is like a Terminator-esque world mm -hmm. where we, we build some sort of machine that becomes too powerful for us to control and, they, and then we become like second-class citizens and like we're in this whole dystopian world. I'm not quite there yet in that level level of kind of catastrophe, but in all seriousness, how advanced could AI get? Could it get to a point where it kind of surpasses human thought and then that black box becomes more complex than human thought can get? We're not quite there yet, luckily. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's the concept of what we in AI call artificial general intelligence. So AI is very, very, very good at specific things. But it's like you can make a hammer or you can make like a saw or you can make like some other tool. But we haven't made like the whole workbench. We haven't made a whole guy at the workbench or whatever, right? So the concept of general intelligence is something that's been able to learn from enough various data to, you know, deal with new stimulus in a way it's never been trained about and never even been introduced to. And that's, that's far away, which is great. On the <laughs> other hand... <laughs> AI is getting really, really darn advanced. And there are some things that beyond even not understanding, you know, what's going on in the middle, basic machine learning, we understand why it works. It's math. At the end of the day, it's just math. If you know any of your viewers have listened to anything about like linear algebra or taken a class on that, it's just like you have these vectors and you you turn them into other vectors. It's like it's just a bunch of matrices, you're multiplying them a lot. But there's these things called like deep neural networks, and we add more and more hidden layers. And once we start adding quite a few of those, we actually don't really know why it works so well, which is kind of interesting. And this isn't like a just like, oh, I don't know why it works. It's like, oh, the, the people who are really, really good at this don't really know why it works. It works really well. We know how to make it work really well. So that's, I guess, kind of like the whole how advanced can it get. And you, you see things that are like, oh, self-driving cars are being really successful. You see like Boston Dynamics and stuff making like these, these robots that like, can dance really well. And everyone's like, oh, look at this cute robot dancing on viral social media. It's like, wait, that thing's going to be like, I don't know, being a police officer in two years. That's kind of scary to me. So kind of to your point about how advanced they can get, there is essentially probably some mathematical limitation at some point. We are not close to that yet. A lot of research is being done and research that you know, I've, I've kind of worked on a little bit is very specific scenarios about it's a lot of it's in games research which is also something i'm really interested in you might think about like oh solving chess or whatever that's like a really complicated problem and that's something that would be applicable to real life or something i've been super interested in is poker because you know there's all the bluffing and what's called an incomplete information game and so you kind of figure out well how do you you know manifest psychological things in mathematical algorithms 
And that's also you know really applicable to real life because that's again like business decisions, social decisions, everything you need to have make. But it's really good at this one like game. The problem is you know making it applied to stuff in general. But some of these companies have started to do big things that are important with their same algorithms. DeepMind, which is a group that made a bunch of machine learning and reinforcement learning, which is like a, a similar related field, approaches to games like chess and Go. They have recently solved in biology what's called the protein folding problem, and that they can predict, given like you know the data of the protein, how it's actually going to fold in three dimensions, which is super super important if you know you know about biology and you know that the whole form determines the function of a protein. So if they're able to predict this stuff before they can like go in and like find it, that's super useful for medicine. But of course. There's things on medicine and there's things on a lot of people are, you know, applying this to like defense and stuff. And that gets a little kind of scary. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot there. The first thing I think that you point out is that AI has at this moment is being developed for very specific purposes. So while it can get super advanced in one purpose, as you said, there's not the guy at the workbench. It's just a whole bunch of tools laid out that you kind of operate at one time or another. Yeah, um, which I think is reassuring, at least for people like me. But as you said, even these singular tools are kind of getting very advanced to a point where it's beyond what you can just think of as like a logic statement in the simplest way, where I think poker is a great example, as you brought up. For a lot of people, poker is a very mathematical game, but there's also the human side of it. Like, how do can you read a tell from someone? How can you, you, you know, like being at a table or virtual poker, there's a good amount of studies that people play somewhat differently in both of those. So I think it's really uh, interesting on the game element, but also, as you said, let's not get so afraid so quickly because some of this AI is saving proteins and being able to kind of predict genome patterns in a way that can really save people's lives. For sure. Um, so it can, I guess the answer is it can go everywhere, right? AI will go everywhere, both good and bad. Yes. Yeah. So with that in mind, then I guess we can hop a little more into the moral questions itself, because if AI can go everywhere, there are obviously some places I think as you know, kind of both politicians and ethicists and just humanities minded people in general are like, hold on, it can go there, but do we want it to go there? Yeah. Um, so I guess the first question is, where are those places thus far that have kind of been taboo to enter? And then who, if anyone, either the government, the companies themselves are kind of policing where and how to go about these moral questions? Yeah, so that's a great, great focus for this. So kind of to begin with, I want to emphasize that I, as much as like I'm going to say about, oh, we got to be careful of this and that, it's AI is doing really some amazing things. And the whole thing I'd like to emphasize and a lot of modern ethics training is trying to emphasize is that AI is cool and it's really great, but it's a tool that we are using as humans and like any other tool we're using, we have to use it effectively and monitor it. There's this big thing of, oh, AI will do all this stuff by itself. We don't need a human interaction. And we really do. We really need to kind of keep it in check and be constantly, you know, learning from it. So the the big kind of concern is, well, two things. Are the algorithms and stuff like what is what is it learning? Is this learning something good? Are the people programming the AI purposely programming in a way that's going to be biased? And then two is the data it's being trained on is biased. I think the first one is easier. There's a lot of, you know, people doing work in terms of, you know, within companies or within, you know, scholarly training at this point, you know, WashU is starting to have some 
ethics classes that are required for like their data science program. You know, you see schools like Harvard, Brown, Yale, all these big AI schools that are doing similar things that, you know, they're making ethics part of the curriculum because it's so important to, you know, ingrain that in the next generation of engineers. But so making those actual things is, you know, the easier part. The hard part is data. So one example I'd like to give is the Compass program in Wisconsin that was actually used as part of their Department of Corrections. And it was used to kind of calculate recidivism rates. So it's like, oh, if someone, you know, got out of jail, would they commit another crime and have to go back? So they decided to say, oh, well, you know, judges and whatever might be biased. We hear about all this stuff about racial bias within the, the judicial system. What if we pass it over to AI? And you think that's like, oh, that's going to be more fair. But you realize then it was trained on the data from all the past cases. And they're like, oh, we're not going to include race. That's not a factor. We're taking it out. And it's like, great, that's good. That's what you want. But it implicitly learned the bias, racial bias of past decisions. Because if you train on data that was filled with past racial bias, there's still some correlating factor there, right? And it might not be just like race equals this, do this. It's like, oh, but if someone's from this zip code and from this income bracket and this other thing, then they're more likely to say, you know, not get let out on bail because the judges were more racist about it. So the AI started learning to do that. And there's this big like court case and case study and a bunch of people looking into it. And they determined that, yeah, this, this algorithm that they made was making racially influenced decisions. So and that's because it kind of led it to do its thing alone. I, I think that in general, I would be very wary of putting in AI more into the judicial world. There's a lot of other concerns there. Well, if we can't you know, use AI, do we have to fix it as humans? And there's, you know, that's kind of like out, outside the scope of this episode. But things like that are, are more concerning. Yeah, I think you make a, a good distinction here that there's kind of two main problems here. One is the people themselves, right? Someone is eventually yeah. kind of feeding the inputs and writing the code for this AI. And all of us, as you said, have some sort of bias. And ethics training is, I think, a great start. And, you know, there's kind of a the whole idea that metaphysically, you can't even get to a point where you have no bias, but yeah. at least minimizing that and having a conscious effort will likely mitigate any massive consequence of that. The second point, I think, as you rightly point out, is, is a little bit more dangerous, which is the data itself and the input you have is limited, right? You can't ethic train a whole laundry list of court cases. So how we select data too, I think is maybe an onus on the humans and the developers themselves, sure. um, opposed to just feeding the most convenient input. Because as you said, that can lead to some really perverse outcomes that we don't want. So we have these ethics programs in kind of these massive schools of thought for AI, but for the companies themselves, right? We can't kid ourselves and say that Google and all these other kind of AI pioneers have serious profit motivation when doing this, right? This requires a lot of research and development to kind of build these massive yeah. programs. So is there some sort of safeguard in check, I suppose, that prevents these companies from saying, you know what, this is just the easier route. We have this ethical obligation, sure, but if this is easier and going to make us money, why don't we just do this? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few things that are going on right now, um, both within the companies and outside of the companies. And you're right that, you know, to some extent, right, that like anything that's done within the company is, you know, within the context of, oh, we still want to make money. So a lot of outside groups, non-governmental, but just kind of, you know, academic thought is pushing for just even having greater diversity among the human teams. Mm. 
because it's no secret that computer science is primarily like a white male dominated industry. And that's a problem. We need to really work on that as a field, especially with this AI stuff, because I mean, my whole point and a lot of the whole points of how do we best actually approach, you know, reducing bias is having a team of humans to work alongside the AI and be constantly monitoring it and be running tests to see is it making decisions in a poor way. Can we glean information? Maybe not, we can't get the entire formula out of the black box, but can we get some information out of it? Can we kind of figure out what's going on? And if you have, you know, a team that's more minded towards that, then of course that's a good thing. We want that. Secondly, I, in general, am a big proponent of having, you know, some more like governmental regulation, but that's of course a very difficult area um, in terms of even like you, I'm sure your viewers have been more politically minded, have, you know, seen all the, the hearings of Zuckerberg or whatever, and like half <laughs> the congressmen like don't know what's going on, like don't know how to turn on the Zoom, like so <laughs> trying to explain to them like all of this stuff is like a whole another thing. Uh, it's a whole like you know we might have to try to push some stuff on the company side. I'd love to see stuff happen on the government side, but it might be a minute. So that's kind of you know what's going on there. Yeah, I'll I'll never forget Orrin Hatch going to Mark Zuckerberg and being, well, if you don't pay for Facebook, how do you make money? <laughs> and and we're like, oh no, yeah. we got a long uh -oh. way to go, don't we? Uh oh, yeah. Um, so. so I guess moving on from that into our last question here is where do you see AI going next, right? You're in a bunch of research projects that are kind of looking at the next areas and we just broke through, let's say biotech and there's a lot more going on. So I guess, I guess there's kind of two questions here is one, where is it going next? And two, as kind of the lay citizens here who are not in the weeds of this research, are our lives going to be turned into a sci-fi movie? And if so, how? Um, again, luckily, not yet. Probably not for a while. So I guess I'll first talk about like technology is developing at really an incredibly fast rate. There's this whole thing like, oh, it'll exponentially grow over time due to our like potential develop more microprocessors or whatever at a smaller scale, which just lets to do more computing. I even saw this little this talk from, I think it was a Google or Amazon engineer the other day that they were kind of saying stuff that we tried like six months ago, we couldn't get to work. We can make it work now just because we have better computers. And that's like super, super crazy. But again, it's very specialized. So I think you're not going to worry about seeing, I don't know, a lot of very complex things being taken over entirely by AI. I think it'll become a much larger part of the workplace, but something that people are gonna have to be trained to interact with and use effectively to make their jobs easier, but it's not gonna be replacing directly jobs on like the you know more corporate level. Of course, you can say things like, oh, is it gonna replace like people in minimum wage stuff? That's like a, definitely a big concern there too. However, kind of to talk about some of the research stuff, uh, there's two kind of fronts, like you said, the more, you know, figuring out how to make it better on the research side and then the application side. So I'm, like I mentioned, really interested in the whole like games of incomplete information thing, which are very, very fascinating in the way that they model a lot of real life scenarios. People about 10 years ago said that making AI for poker was impossible, which made sense, right? Because it's like, how do you make something deal with all the possibilities there's so many different hands you can get to so many different ways you can place bets there's so many different things you can do psychologically and in 2017 this group at cmu carnegie mellon made uh, an agent is what we call like uh, you know tools that are ai based um that is essentially superhuman it beats all the poker players that are the best human players which is crazy so there's kind of you know 
continuing to push to more and more complex games. On the other hand, there's some really cool applications that are going on. Um, one of the things recently is called GPT-3, which is a natural language processing tool. Um, and basically you give it a bunch of texts and it writes something and it sounds super, super human. There was this article I read that was like about GPT-3 and apparently the, at the end the author's like, yeah, the, the bot wrote this, I didn't write this. And it looked like a really normal article. So that's super cool. And that, a lot of that stuff on that side is gonna be super useful for actual real life applications beyond you know, like the biotech stuff. I mean, that's, that's super, super interesting because if it, it can really revolutionize the field in a way that is super beneficial to just saving lives. And that's you know, a really easy way to show how, you know, how good it is. Um, but of course, we're still far away kind of from that artificial general intelligence. And I think for, you know, I think that's a good thing, um, <laughs> but that's something I think people are going to have to, you know, well, we've got some time to develop regulations, develop all the checks we kind of want, maybe. So that's the, the good news, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I guess the lesson here is if you're a poker player, uh, watch out because there's a bot <laughs> that might beat you over and over and over again. But yes, William, sir. thank you so much for coming on. If any other AI massive breakthrough comes through, we'll be sure to ask you about it. But I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. It was fun to talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and follow our social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. I want to extend a massive thank you to William Sepsi for coming on. He's doing some really cool work, so if there's any AI developments in the future, as I said, we're definitely going to reach back out to him. Also, if you have any episodes that you want to listen to or topics you've been confused on recently, please feel free to email us, DM us, anything, because we want to create content that you want to learn about, and it's sometimes hard to predict that. So if you have an issue you really want us to talk about, please reach out. We're always open to it. And until next time, thank you for helping us understand politics together. <laughs>